Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, you okay? Yeah, I just have cramps. Sorry. Uh, all right. We ready for this? Yeah. Hopefully, it'll, it'll come through uh, decently in sync for you. Hunter S. Thompson was a journalist who had to do a journey. He took a little road trip down to Las Vegas with his wackadoo attorney. They barely made it through from all the drugs that they took. The sight of giant bats and lizards had them shook. He wrote the whole thing down and turned it into a book called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Terry Gilliam's gonna make a flick He's gonna make a flick of that story His wide-angled mind take a visual stick Could capture all the drugged-out glory Johnny Depp went and lived on Hunter's estate Benicio Del Toro gained a bunch of weight And Terry Gilliam did his best to recreate Fear and loathing in Las Vegas Fear and loathing in Las Vegas Today we're talking fear and loathing in Las Vegas Nice Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And my name is Justin Nisha. And each week, we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be tossed away like a radio into the tub when White Rabbit peaks. That's my hunter. All right, you fucker. I'll plunge this into your throat. 
That's, that's pretty good. That's good. Uh, and as always, we are joined by the Dr. Gonzo of this podcast, Corey Clifford. Mm, okay, okay. What do you uh, advise us to do as, as our attorney? Uh-huh. Um, figure out how to make some fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> that's up to you, folks. You listeners, you got to go and join the Patreon. You got to tell all your friends and family right, to join. Um, wait, so just funny review that I just got right now. Uh-huh. Um. Uh, my friend Alex just texted me and she goes, said, Jack's cold opening of Temple of Doom is making me literally cry. It's exactly what I needed to hear at 3 a.m. while I was breastfeeding, although my baby did not love my attempt to mosh. Oh, nice. <laughs> 3 a.m. Oof. That's when I babies mean, I guess be trying to eat. They'd be hungry. <laughs> Those new babies. They want that milk. Really hungry, hungry for the pod. Hungry for the pod. Hungry for the pod. Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today we're talking about 1998's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, written and directed by Terry Gilliam. Also <laughs> written by Hunter S. Thompson and Tony Grisotti. <laughs> you want me to go to Las Vegas at once? As your attorney, I advise you to rent a very fast car with no top. Tape recorder for special music. Get the hell out of LA for at least 48 hours. <laughs> Let's give the boy a lift. We can't stop here. This is that country. <laughs> Damn, I never rode a convertible before. Get out. Universal Pictures presents the story that defined a generation. Johnny Depp. Hey, Benicio Del Toro. Let's get down to brass tacks here. How much for the eight? Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. A Terry Gilliam film. All right, now I've got to go. Time lunch! Radio, man, radio. That sounds like a trailer for Dumb and Dumber. I know. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Gilliam did say in the... uh commentary that he was he was quite unhappy with the marketing of the movie Mm. but he himself had another idea for the marketing that was also terrible it was very much uh it reminded me a lot of the soderbergh sex lies a videotape thing where it's like his idea for the marketing was to do like this black and white trailer that was all sort of themed kind of like a reefer madness video where it was like don't go see this movie don't take your kids to see this drugged out hippie movie it works as a promo but maybe not the trailer you it's know. not going to get people because he was complaining that like because the movie didn't particularly do well mm-hmm. and he was complaining that he thought it was because it was marketed wrong and i was like well yours would black get and people- white doesn't feel yeah. right at all for <laughs> your this idea movie. isn't going to get more people to the theater either like i always when it comes to like getting a an audience to come the reality is is sometimes you do kind of got to like slum to the to the pigs a little bit and i think <laughs> a universal trying Ooh. to like make this look like a fun rompy buddy comedy is maybe not the worst way to go to get people to try and see the movie it is a buddy comedy it really yeah, it is it yeah is. it's just, it's tonally like doesn't feel it doesn't have any of the sort of like shock value that the movie has within that trailer like it's making it feel more like eight heads in a duffel bag or or something like that but um forgot about that you know they're doing what they can this is a complicated movie uh what did you watch this movie on criterion blu-ray videotech noise so the so it's probably the same criterion that i have only yours is blu-ray mine's dvd Yeah, it looked amazing. Mine looked pretty good. I mean, it's for an old for an older DVD. The box, yeah. though, I mean, the box this is, is really cool. this is one of the best Criterion uh, packages I think there's ever been. One just because it's got that great 
um, mm. Ralph Steadman art mm-hmm. on it, but like really cool, like clear plastic case that kind of puts the logo and everything over it with the bats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's real thick. I this is kind of I think this is one of the first Criterion's I ever got. And it, remember the days when Criterion mostly put out older movies, but then every now and then they would drop like a more recent release, like mm-hmm. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, like mm-hmm. the Royal Tenenbaums. That was always really exciting. Yeah. Now they're doing more more recent. They're they're oh, they're putting out Netflix movies now. Yeah, so it's like it's not special anymore to do that. But back then it was like, ooh, if they're putting out a new movie, one, it's it's kind of like a seal of approval on the movie in a way. Like it's rare for a new movie to get the Criterion stamp of approval back then. Back then, yeah. So it made you think twice about the movie a little bit more, but also it was like just kind of fun to get like, ooh, I can get a new release on Criterion. It doesn't have to be like an older black and yeah. white movie. Speaking of Terry Gilliam, looks like Fisher King just released on 4K, 4K oh, cool. Criterion. What are yeah. your? Let's talk Gilliam real quick. What are what are what are your feelings on Gilliam as a whole as a filmmaker? I think as a whole, I mean he's a he's complicated to talk about. He's made a lot of stinkers, but you know who hasn't. Right. True. Yeah. You can't expect them all to be great. He's had some bad luck. uh, Big, big time. Some big (laughs) time. It's part of his reputation at this point that like it's not a guarantee that a Terry Gilliam film will finish. Yeah. Which I feel like that doesn't happen in this day and age anymore. Mm -mm. Like finish as in. He's had multiple projects that have fallen through right at the last minute. And he's had multiple projects that have started shooting and fallen through. Wow. To the point where he almost has like a cursed filmmaker reputation it kind of started after this like when he was doing fear and loathing he was kind of on top was 12 monkeys before this right before that movie slaps i love 12 monkeys i i don't think you can beat brazil i mean that was the movie that sold me on gilliam and Mm -hmm. it's sort of like his calling card movie yeah there's nothing there's nothing like it and i think fear and loathing has some of those gonzo elements of of uh totally yeah brazil but yeah i love 12 monkeys i love brazil i can't stand anything he does nowadays i mean there was pretty much everything post fear and loathing i hate yeah there was one he did recently the zero theorem oh the zero theorem with um rough christoph waltz yeah Never saw it, Never but I heard, heard it, of it. I heard it was pretty bad. Before I really knew who Terry Gilliam was, I'd seen his Monty Python work. I was obsessed with uh, the Holy Grail. I was did he obsessed. do all of the Monty Pythons? Uh, the films he did. He definitely did Holy Grail. He co-directed that with Terry Jones and um, The Meaning of Life. Both of those movies I was obsessed with mm-hmm. as, as a younger boy. He was the only American member of of Monty Python's Flying Circus mm-hmm. uh, and be, kind of became the uh, the de facto director of that group. Oh. And then um, once he made Brazil, then he was just kind of like on his own as a, as a big director. And that movie was... Did, well, did Time Bandits come before Brazil? Or did that come after? Time I think Bandits Brazil was his first. Was before, yeah. Oh, it was before. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, I remember liking Time mm-hmm. Bandits. Yeah. Um, I always liked it, but I only watched it. I think I've only seen it one time, but I liked and, it when I saw it. And Fisher King is the one that everybody loves in film school. That's like, I don't. Yeah. I think you and I both don't love it, really. Yeah, it's close for me to being really good <laughs> because it's got a lot of really good sequences in it. And I like Jeff Bridges in it. Uh, it's a really saccharine, cheesy movie, though. Like, it's, <laughs> it is over the top sentimental. And I'm iffy on Robin Williams 
performance in the movie. But uh, as a concept, like I like the idea of it and I like that it's, you know, there's sort of shocking stuff in it. And Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus was the movie he was shooting with Heath Ledger when Heath Ledger passed away. Oh, that that was, yeah. Like yeah, that another, Johnny Depp replaced, right? I think so. Multiple I think so. actors. Yeah, I think three really. different yeah. actors um, ended up doing that. And that was like another movie that kind of added to the curse. legend that he was cursed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, his big, the big one was he's multiple times tried to make a Don Quixote movie. He did eventually make it. That's without what Adam I Driver. was thinking. Yeah, yeah, he did eventually make it only a few years ago. But he had been trying to make one since the '80s, and uh, they just continuously fell through. And in multiple cases, he would go into pre-production. They would be building sets, costumes, yeah. casted, and then just boom, rug gets pulled out. Done. The Brothers Grimm. I forgot about that. Did you ever see Brothers Grimm? I never saw that one. That's Heath Ledger as well. Heath Ledger and And Matt Damon. Matt Damon. What a weird couple. Skipped it. (laughs) I'm kind of curious in it now. Now, Um, Tideland sucked ass. People love that movie, though. Oh, I hated it. I hated it so much. It was one of my turning points on Gilliam. I was like, ooh, this is everything I've come to not like about him. I do have a complicated relationship with Gilliam. Yeah. I like. Brazil, but I've never loved Brazil, but I get it. Like, I understand why most people do. And it is an ambitious movie and it's bold. And like you said, there's nothing like it. But for whatever reason, Gilliam's style just doesn't quite click 100% for me. Um, 12 Monkeys, though, I feel like that is By far is my favorite. The best. 12 Monkeys, I think, is, is the ultimate uh, coalescence of his style and his thing mm-hmm. with a great star and a good script. And a big budget. You know, he works well with a really big budget. I was thinking while watching this movie, I wish we were doing 12 Monkeys. Yeah, 12 Monkeys is great. <laughs> we should do 12 Monkeys one so of these days. It's just so fun. Yeah. Not to say this isn't, but it's a different type of fun. Okay, yeah, so let's talk about Fear and Loathing. When did you first see when did you first see this movie? This was a a, a friend in high school who mm-hmm showed it to me it was like you've never seen fear and loathing mm-hmm. and he was like quoting it and he came over one day and we we started to watch it and I, it just didn't connect to, to me i couldn't even with the, like the lizards are are a cool <laughs> they're very kind cool. of opening 15 20 minute thing to see mm-hmm. but i think i was just so put off by the insanity of everything else that mm-hmm. i um and specifically high school was a time when I was very, very uh, anti-drug stuff. So I was mm. like, oh, this is this is problematic. I just viewed it as problematic. <laughs> and um, I kind of didn't really give it time of day. Um, so this was really kind of like a fresh viewing for me. Because mm. mm-hmm. I, I don't think I ever gave it a, a full watch through all the way through. And what did your feelings clarify? Did it complicate? How was this viewing? I mean, it was still stress. It was more like stressful, mm-hmm. but I was able to appreciate uh, appreciate it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Don't think this is going to be a movie that I'm going to revisit again. I just can't imagine wanting to sit through this again. Right. But I laughed out loud a lot of times, which mm-hmm. was unexpected. I didn't think it was going to be funny. Um, and there were at least two or three memorable moments that I think I'll never forget. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in a lot of ways, this is kind of like a big budget, darker Cheech and Chong movie mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His paranoia and the way that he feels, although I've never done acid, like 
it's a little bit more I'm able to tap into kind of like what he's feeling and experiencing mm-hmm. to recognize what he's going through and find uh, more humor in and it find too. more humor and, and connection to it. But yeah, again, just like the constant degradation of these two people uh, going further and further down a rabbit hole of hell mm-hmm. is just not really a film experience that I want to, you know, relive. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, how about you? Did you see this movie in high school? I also, this was a big high school movie. My best friend, Marianne, her dad uh, introduced us to this movie, Hunter S. Thompson. He would always do like a Hunter S. Thompson um, impression, Mm -hmm. Lance, um, and has very Hunter S. Thompson vibes. Like when I think of this movie, I think about her dad. Her dad was an artist and he had a draw. Yeah, very quirky guy. That he had this really cool poster that I was, I very much remember that he did when we were in high school, or he had it from I don't know how long he had had it. Um, but that is very much in my memory. And unlike Justin, kind of the opposite, I was very in I had not done acid or any type of drugs with this intense at all in high school, but I thought it was very cool mm-hmm. and like fear and loathing from my perspective in high school was like, I, I can't really remember how I felt about it, but besides wanting to like it, like being like, this is like, this is artsy. This is cool. Mm -hmm. I'm into this, but was I actually, I don't know, but it has a very nostalgic vibe um, for Marion and her dad for me. Yeah. I also saw this in high school. I was really attracted to this movie back then. Same had never done a single drug in my life at this point, but found it to be, fun and cool and funny. I was also just really into that 90s, this particular era of 90s, like widescreen, big budget, good cinematography. This, Casino, Natural Born Killers. Like I just loved all these kinds of movies that looked and felt like this. U-Turn. What was the budget? Well, this budget I think was like 18 million, Mm. but it looks... Huge. You yeah. know, like it doesn't look like it's compromised from a budgetary standpoint anyway. And so I was I was really into this movie, even though I can't say that I ever like love, love, love the movie. I watched it a lot, but I think it was a movie that I turned off midway through a lot. You know, I would start yeah. this movie. The problem with this movie is it peaks early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. And I think the be- the best sequences are within the first 20, 30 minutes. Of yeah. the movie. Sure. It becomes repetitive a little bit. Yeah, it know? does. And it becomes a fever dream. Yes, mm-hmm. and it becomes like stressful and not a fun way because you're like, yeah. I don't even know what we're getting to, but I got to get this guy out of here. <laughs> like, this is yeah. a lot. I think that's all by design. You know, I think yeah. uh, listening to Terry Gilliam talk about yeah. it, he was like, he wanted it to to start with that the fun of when you take drugs, it's fun at first, oh, but that's then a good point. once you if you take a lot of them or once you're on like those long running hallucinogens, the fun does start to turn into anxiety and you start to feel like I want out, but you're trapped in it. <laughs> And so he wanted to sort of replicate that feeling. And for good or bad, he does a pretty successful job of it. But I think ultimately it causes the viewing experience to feel exhausting and repetitive. I think the movie lacks an arc, mm-hmm. you know, it, it lacks a direction, which again, all, I'm sure all by design. So it's hard to super critique it for it. But I feel like, are we like blowing our wad early? Like, talking, like being like, we didn't actually like this movie that much. <laughs> well, no. but my feelings aren't as cut and dry as that. Like, yeah. I do still enjoy the movie. Okay, wait, I have a question mm-hmm. for you, though. Because when we were watching this movie, Justin, I asked Jack, when we were in high school, we had this in English or something. We had to come in as a character. 
to the class. Mm-hmm. And I, for some reason, had a memory of Jack. I was like, did you do this character for that? And he goes, oh, no. At that point, I knew that was cringe. And I was like, oh, really? Because I feel like in high school is when we, everybody was like, this is cool. It, well, it was. But I that's know, why but- I knew it was cringe. Because it was being done by so many people. Mm. You know, there was like... Because the way that you're talking about it, I would have thought that you were going to say, like, in high school, you thought, like, oh, these people are lame. You mean just dressing movie. up as the character? As yeah. Hunter S. Thompson? Just kind of doing a Hunter S. Thompson vibe. Wearing mm. the sunglasses, talking, Well, we walking. had to come into class as a character and, like, I don't even know what it was. Kind of like mm. what you guys did in Columbia, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. I only remember doing that in high school for an acting class and I came in as Al Pacino and I basically oh, maybe did Scarface. And that's no, not yeah, embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Did you, when you came into acting class in high school, as Alvacino from Scarface, mm-hmm. were people like, and you, do you like fully went all out with so, it? So, well, I wasn't, I, we had to act like an, um, an actor. Okay. So I wasn't technically acting like Scarface. So I was acting like-, like Al Pacino and I was, but I was kind of like just doing a Scarface voice a little bit. Sure. I wasn't going full Tony Montana, but I was using that as a foundation. I guess though, my question is, was the class shocked? Because in my mind of you in high school, you were very quiet yeah, and a were loner. Shocked. Were they like, what the fuck? Well, the other, th- the other shocking thing that happened was, is the, my, my whole bit was the, 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 uh, the context for my character was that Al Pacino is at the Academy Awards. <laughs> he thinks he's going to win for best actor and he has to pee because he's nervous. And so the scene takes place in the bathroom and it's Al Pacino walking into the bathroom. He's by himself. He's talking to himself like, I think I'm going to win. I I didn't prepare a speech. What am I going to say? And he starts going through in his mind and he's like, okay, I can do this. And then he pees in the urinal. And when I did that, I turned towards the wall and I had a little bottle of fake piss hidden in my pocket. Wow. And so I started, I turned towards the wall and started to actually spray pee into a, crazy. into a trash can, that's when everybody went nuts because they didn't know that was going to happen. And the whole premise of it was that Al Pacino pees on his pants. And so now he has to like try to dry his pants a pretty good bit before he goes school. back I'm out impressed. to accept the, the award. And so it turns into sort of a frantic like, what am I going to do? I got to dry my pants, but as Al Pacino. So yeah, the, they loved it and were totally shocked because I was very quiet. And they, I who was your teacher? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I can't remember her name. Sorry, oh. teacher. <laughs> she was the drama 101 teacher in Parkview. Did she get mad at you? She loved it. She mm. loved it. She called my parents afterwards. She and, called what? your parents uh-huh. and said, wow. "Like, just want to let you know that Jack like killed this assignment, and this is oh I don't know God. if you oh I don't know God. if you know what he did, but this is what he did." Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. Wow. Yeah, she was a good teacher. I liked her. You should have been an actor. I feel like you got an actor bug in you. <laughs> Can we hear your Pacino real quick? Oh, God. I pissed on my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a Benicio? I, I killed to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you do that in Colombia? I know. I'm surprised you didn't just copy that. I don't know. You I probably would have. Instead, you chose Kevin Barnes. Well, but I guess that is what Justin, how he fell I in bet, love with you. I guarantee you, if Jack had done Pacino instead of Kevin Barnes, we would not be here today. <laughs> <laughs> but Pacino pissing his pants? 
The funny thing is, is my sort of piss pants yeah. shock thing was what you did when you did your version, which was for John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, you had a moment where you were... <laughs> the choices you guys made for this class is so What funny. did you think about my choice to do John Frusciante? I loved it. I mean, well, it, that, it had the same I feel same like effect. that probably would have made a, the spark of Jack's love for you because he loved him. Oh, that, I mean, I've said this before, but that whole performance of yours completely turned me around on you <laughs> because I didn't particularly like you up until that point because oh we weren't friends. We hadn't communicated. We hadn't done anything together. My only experience of you was that you came into class late every single day and fought the teacher about why it was their problem that you were late. And so I was sort of like, this guy's kind of a jerk. And then we had to do this project where we had to act like somebody real, a celebrity or some notable figure, and we had to learn all about them and then be interviewed by the class where we had to stay in character as that person. And Justin did John Frusciante. And right away, I was like, whoa, I was not a Chili Peppers fan, but I loved John Frusciante. I loved his solo work. I loved the music that he did for the Brown Bunny. I thought he was the coolest guy. And so the fact that you chose to do him was like, ooh, that's interesting. I would not have expected anybody in this class to choose to do him. And then what really sold me was, one, you were good. You stayed in character and you were a good actor, but you did this thing very similar to the pee pants thing where you're <laughs> as you were doing your bit, which I think you were kind of like in the midst of like a meditation or a yoga thing or something, you had this cup of hot tea that you were drinking as you were being interviewed by the class. And at one point, you went to set the tea like on the table beside you and you missed the edge of the table and spilled hot tea all over yourself. And so then the interview became about you had burned yourself badly. <laughs> and the teacher thought it was real. And I think the whole class thought it was real. Like we all thought you had legitimately like scalded yourself on this hot tea. Uh, and ultimately it all turned out to be a part of your act. That's kind of crazy that those are very like related Things that you yeah, both we both kind of did mm -hmm. surprise things that weren't expected. That mm -hmm. and yeah, that coming out yeah. of that, I was like, I like this guy. He's a good actor. I want to work with him. And it wasn't long after that that I asked you to be in one of my short films. And well, the rest is history. history. <laughs> <laughs> I think it wasn't until college though that this did become sort of like film bro movie. Yeah, but there fear were definitely yeah fear and loathing. But there were there were like the um the kind of punk kids and the we had vampires. <laughs> We had literal kids who identified as vampires in <laughs> our did. school. Mm -hmm. We um, did. And they were aware of this movie. And they did the, they acted like it and stuff. And uh, I think I got the vibes pretty quickly that it wasn't the coolest mm. thing to act like Hunter S. Thompson. Um, as much as I enjoyed him and, and I hung out when I was like a junior in high school, though, I hung out like Marianne and I's friends also were like stoners were like the mm. older kid stoners. So it was cool. And that. yeah, but watching this movie now, I still had fun, but it, I think I liked it the least now than I've ever liked it, mm -hmm. even though I didn't. Uh, I still appreciated the experience <laughs> of it. It just goes on. It's a long movie. And um, I sort of get where the critics were coming from when it came out. Critics didn't like the movie at all. Kind of got panned. All right, Ebert hated it. Leonard Malton hated it. Siskel liked it. Um, That's my Siskel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it over the they thought they really had a hit too. Apparently, they when they finished the movie, everybody was really proud of it, and Terry Gilliam was like 
really confident in it. So they sent it to Can, and he was for sure he was going to win the Palm d'Or. And uh, Johnny Depp had had directed a movie called The Brave, I think the year before, and he took it to Can and got eviscerated. So he was like, "You should know, Terry. They're kind of mean there." <laughs> and but Terry was like, "No, we're we we're going to win." And they completely destroyed it. Like the oh. Cannes crowd hated the film. They thought it was annoying. Universal started taking money away from the advertising budget because they lost confidence in it. And um, yeah, movie didn't do well. Didn't make any money. Critics panned it. It it was only you know later on when it kind of became like a cult hit on video that it kind of had a resurgence in its reputation. And I think this Criterion release probably aided in that. Yeah. Uh, well, if someone yeah. came up to you at a party and you started talking about movies and and you asked them what's your favorite movie and they said Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, would you think? They were Something lying. was off, or <laughs> you think they were lying? Or I would think yeah. they were trying to be cool. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to. It, it would kind of depend because I their favorite movie. Honestly, I could see this being a favorite movie for people who don't watch a lot of movies, but then they see this one and they recognize that there's something wild and unique about it and go, "That's my favorite movie." Yeah. So I if, mean, I don't want to shit on people, but I like, shit on somebody yeah, for that. I mean, I kind of just did because I said they would be lying. Um, <laughs> I think if you're a movie not, lover, it would be weird. There's not an emotional arc, so it feels like to me for your favorite movie to not create any type of like emotion in you, mm -hmm. that would be very surprising to me. Yeah. Well, and it's also I can you know there's a lot of movies where the characters don't have an arc. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that Uncut Gems has a good has an, but arc. it's an extremely emotional. But it's a, it's dramatic, you know. Yeah. Like there's there's stakes and there's drama. The character himself doesn't really change much from scene one to to the but end. But also, there is something we are desperate to get exactly. To in Uncut this Gems. movie lacks momentum. It has yeah. a lot of momentum in the first half of it. It feels like it's really driving, and then it kind of just like hits the brakes while still being like psychedelic and trippy and, and ambitious, the the story momentum just kind of like comes to a dead halt. Mm -hmm. And even when it starts to introduce drama, like with the Christina Ricci character um, and the cop convention and all that sort of, the Gary Busey, like they're so fleeting and they There's feel- There's fun scenes in there because I love the Gary Busey scene. Yeah. But- it doesn't feel like it's yeah. driving to anything. No. And when the movie ends, it does kind of just feel like, well, it's time to wrap up. Like, we don't have, it's not really ending because of anything in particular. Well, and then you have also things like the diner scene where Benicio del Toro, yeah. like, assaults her uh, or is a, mm -hmm. or who knows uh -huh. what he's going to do. Her, I don't know what to make of his character. Mm -hmm. You know, he's detestable. He's, uh, he mm -hmm. is funny. You know, there's, mm -hmm. but he's also, um, unsettling. He's not. Doesn't seem like a good attorney at all in any. Yeah. What sense. an exhausting role to play. The yeah. whole time I was just like, this would be like you would just be so exhausted. He's going at a hundred the mm -hmm. entire yeah. time. He said that um after it was done, Hunter S. Thompson got to watch the movie for the first time, and he called Benicio del Toro, and he said, um, "You're not going to have a career after this movie." <laughs> oh my god. And Benicio del Toro was like, I took that as a great compliment because he was telling me that I was so effective and and you know I knew he, what he meant by it. He, he he meant it as a compliment. He was like, but it turned out to be true. He was like, when this movie came out, nobody wanted to take a meeting with me 
because everybody assumed that I was a psychopath as unhinged as this character. And they assumed that I was an alcoholic and that I did use drugs. They could not separate me from this character. That seems to be like a, this isn't the a first theme. time you've uh-huh. said that. Yeah. It's just like how stupid, stupid are people? could Hollywood be? I don't understand. Well, it's like, that's but, why you meet with people. Yes, I can understand like, maybe being like, you watch this movie and you go, I wonder if he's scary to work with. Let me meet with him and see, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's where you gauge whether a person is actually unhinged but or not. It does look like he he did do pretty well uh, like after this like I mean, 2000 he, he got career. snatch. Mm-hmm. 2000 he got snatch. Also that same year he got traffic. 2001 the pledge with Jack Nicholson. Oh my god. Have you seen <laughs> the pledge? Yeah. Do you remember his character in that? No. Benicio Del Toro, I think the first time I ever saw him was in Usual Suspects. And he has that great voice where he's like, So he's like all about changing his voice up. Mm -hmm. I think some actors start with a posture. I think Benicio starts with the voice. Whatever character he's doing, he finds a unique voice for them. Tom Hardy must have grown up watching Benicio Del Toro. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Classically hard to understand. (laughs) And I would say Fear and Loathing is one of the clearest his voices has ever been. (laughs) And he's still hard to understand at times. Yeah, I had to put subtitles on. (laughs) But his character in The Pledge is wild. He's In a good way? I love it, but it's... It's crazy. He 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 plays kind of a small character. The whole movie is about like a a, a rape and murder of a small child, and they yeah. they uh, pinpoint him as a potential suspect. And and Aaron Eckhart truly believes he did it, so he's like bringing him into a, um, an interrogation room to try to force a confession out of him. And he's playing this sort of like big lumbering, sort of like simple man. And the way Benicio del Toro plays it, he's like. <laughs> <laughs> He like sounds like a Muppet, and I love it, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that will just hysterically laugh at the it. The first time I ever saw him was in Excess Baggage with Alicia Silverstone. And he's sexy. And he's a snack. And I recently saw him in person. You saw Benicio? Yes, at like a neighborhood outdoor festival kind of thing where like all the restaurants put food out. Mm-hmm. Um, And I was standing in front of a place getting a little bite of a pizza pizza and i looked at me and i literally was like oh my fucking god is benicio oh. standing there and he was with another guy and a kid i don't know if he has a kid or if it was his friend's kid mm-hmm. um and he was looking great he was extremely handsome mm-hmm. he had his benicio voice like his normal voice yeah and wow i was i felt starstruck johnny depp what is everybody's vibes on johnny were you into depp in this period yes who very. wasn't, dude? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't. I mean, <laughs> he was undeniably yeah, a very interesting he was, actor. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was. There was like when I was in high school, I would have probably said he was one of my favorite actors. Mm. Like based his, on which films in particular? I mean, Edward Scissorhands for sure yeah, was like the number one. But like, I mean, I would have to look at his Gilbert Grape. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, I love. You're that getting movie. good. Just like sexy, down the middle, sexy. attractive leading man. Mm-hmm. This performance of Hunter S. Thompson is sort of like him auditioning a few of the Jack Sparrow mm-hmm. mannerisms a little mm-hmm. bit. I feel See like once he did that. this role, he found something that he never wanted to give up again. <laughs> but yeah, he is without a doubt. He didn't ever. I mean, people think Jack Sparrow is his greatest 
character of all time. Over Edward Scissorhands? I think if you polled general audiences, they would think yeah, that. I mean, Jack Sparrow is a hugely popular I mean, yes, I, I, I remember really liking the first one, but I can't. Think about I all could. the kids who grew up with pirates mm-hmm. who didn't grow up with. Yeah. Scissor yeah, hands. I guess and I just grew up it's with our Edward generation, Scissorhands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Edward Scissorhands is probably one of his finest performances. Secret Window, dumb, yeah, but kind of fun. Yeah, it yeah. really is fun. In regards to his it, this performance, it, what did you think watching it again? Did you enjoy depth? Did you think that sometimes maybe a little bit pushing it? <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. I I think it works though. I think it worked for. Yeah, I think in general, I prefer one of my issues with some of these drug sequences in the movie is that they're doing so much of everything like Terry Gilliam is doing crazy stuff behind the camera. He's making crazy stuff happen in the production design. And then on top of that, Depp is also acting weird in his performance. And Mm -hmm. when he sometimes when he does his like twisty, you know, moving his hand around stuff, (laughs) it feels a little bit put on to me. Do you think though that that's because of the Johnny Depp that you know after this movie? Like because so much of that is in like Jack Sparrow and stuff. That's probably what it is. So you're thinking of that too. You're like, oh, that's all he does. But this was kind of the first time he was doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. So would you have thought that then? Well, I'm also a little more familiar with the actual Hunter S. Thompson because I've seen a lot of documentaries about him. And so I'm kind of aware of his thing. And there's a lot of similarities. You know, he the voice is pretty much exact and, and a lot of the mannerisms are there, but it is sort of an uh, an exaggerated take on him. And there's like a dangerousness to the actual Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like a little scary and he's a gun nut and a weapons guy and like has this sort of intimidating aggression to him that Depp doesn't bring to this character. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's a fault of the movie or the performance. It's just something I kind of noticed. Like he's not, he's a much more sort of bumbling, nervous version of Hunter S. Thompson, whereas I feel like everything I've ever seen of him, he's like a guy you would be afraid to be around. (laughs) He's got a little bit more of that Dr. Gonzo energy. Yeah. Um, Depp kind of plays him sweetly. Maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe it would be harder to connect with him. Yeah. And if we had two Benicios in this (laughs) movie. That's true. Because he spends a lot of this movie being afraid of Benicio and being afraid of the guns and the knives and stuff that Benicio is bringing into this situation. I've never (laughs) been into Hunter S. Thompson in in the same way I've never really been into Charles Bukowski. What's what's the big deal around him? Why do people gravitate towards him? What's his story? Well, I think What's his appeal? (laughs) I, I kind of feel the same way. Like I dabbled in in all of them, you know, the the Bukowskis and the Salingers and the and the Thompsons. And I think when you're young, mm-hmm. they're sort of like unhinged, wild, you know, carefree attitude is really attractive to most young people. You sound like you were maybe a little bit more conservative as a youngster than the average teenager. I, I was wanna... never, never conservative in a political way. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean but, it politically. You know, I was anti-gun. I was, you know, yeah. pro-abortion, all these things <laughs> at an early age. But drugs, <laughs> you know, I was support. I was marching with my high school friends, you mm-hmm. know, getting pro, get your abortions, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, uh, the drug thing, I think it was just, you know, my dad's a psychologist yeah. and and a Buddhist, and so those things just don't really align with either of his values, and so I just got it real early on. And he says, you know, he was kind of, a lot of people were kind of 
caught up with all the drug scare tactics and mm-hmm. the dare of it all and mm-hmm. the, the war on drugs. And so if you grew up at a certain, if you were a certain age at a certain time and you were studying psychology and all of this stuff, it, you were just more afraid of it, I think, then. I think that's definitely the major difference. Because like me, like my dad was like a huge like hippie vibes for sure. Mm-hmm. There were so many stories I like grew up with of like going to like see Ozzy Osbourne and psychedelics and like things like that. Just like that was not that they were like, you should go do drugs or anything like that. But like the 70s was very cool to me at that time, too. And like wanting to know like, oh, what was it like to be in high school in the 70s? Like not mm-hmm. that this movie is that, but yeah. I think, yeah, that type of lore and stuff was exciting and like wanting to know about that. Yeah, as an as a young adult, you go through a little bit of a anarchy mm-hmm. is fun phase, and I think the the Burroughs and the Bukowskis and the Thompsons sort of let you live vicariously through that when you read their work. And it felt like you were smarter than other well, and, people yeah. in high school. It'd be like, you you care about this dumb thing, but like I'm like in the mind of this like artist. Well, and they do, you know, like when you read them, they do talk about things that do sort of open up your mind. You know, as a kid, you need somebody to tell you that like the police aren't always good, you know, unless yeah. you're experiencing that. You know, um, if you're suburban, sometimes you need an author to like inform you that there's like other ways of looking at the world and that can be really life-changing for a lot of people i think all of those authors when you read them later on in life you know i think if i went and started reading bukowski or thompson in my 30s i would probably be rolling my eyes a little bit more because there's aspects of them that are just like a little too Mm -hmm. in, in my personal feelings now just like shock for shock's sake or like trying to kind of wrestle me out of my traditional mindset that I don't quite need anymore. Have but you as an adult good for tried to go back and read Catcher in the Rye? No. I tried to do it a couple of years ago and I was obsessed with that book in high school. Like mm-hmm. read it probably like seven or eight times. I tried to go back and read it and it I it was making me eye roll hard yeah. and like cringe hard. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, this book has a good place yeah. for a certain time in your life. There's a reason why but they it's connect with you it's not a book I can time. really go back to as an adult woman. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and continue talking about Fear and Loathing in Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking fear and loathing in Las Vegas. We're going to try a little different of uh, of a format here on this one. We're not going to go beat for beat for beat for beat, but we're just going to sort of cherry pick some sequences. This movie's pretty free-flowing anyways. It really it's is. It's not really like one thing necessarily has to lead to the other. But, but we our should podcast st- should reflect the state of the movie. Exactly. You know? Well, yeah. we state should start with the beginning because it is the most memorable. This car scene is yes. pretty much what I think about this movie. I think about this, and then I think about the lizards. It's the most iconic yeah. sequence in the movie is this opening sequence. We were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. That was good. Damn, that's good, dude. Thanks. That's <laughs> probably the best voice you've ever done. <laughs> I remember saying something like, I feel a bit lightheaded. Ah! Yeah, you should drive. Suddenly, there was a terrible roar all around us, and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats, all swooping and screeching and diving around the car. And a voice was screaming, oh, holy Jesus, Jesus where are these goddamn animals? animals? Uh, so yeah, this is a great opening sequence. What I really like about the opening sequence in particular, but the whole movie, I really like the ADR. I like the sound quality of the voices, of the ADR voices in this movie. It's hard to hear, though. I had to put on subtitles. I mean, even Johnny Depp, he's like mumbling through half yeah, his stuff. There are, t- there are times where I'm not looking at the subtitles just because I want to yeah. use my brain to mm-hmm. decipher it. And I look at the subtitles, and I'm like, oh, that is not what I thought. <laughs> well, I just like, mean like the the quality of like the microphone sound cool to me. There's like a vintage sure, yeah. quality to the way it sounds that I feel like must have been on purpose because that's not the way movies sounded in 1998. It sounds no. like it's from the 60s, and it makes me think that maybe because the, the, the Safdie brothers are known to... Um, go out and find old vintage microphones to use as boom mics and as lapel mics for their movies so that their movies have sort of a retro vintage quality to them. And I love it. It's something that like most filmmakers don't even think twice about in terms of what kind of microphones are going to be used to record their movies. But um, this to me feels like one of the cases where I can really feel it and I love it. It just it has like a warm almost yeah. like a vinyl record quality to particularly all the voiceover stuff, but sometimes even in scenes when they're just ADRing the voices. Sounds really cool. I like it. You get to meet his partner who is only known as Dr. Gonzo in this movie, but he's based off of a real man named uh, Oscar Acosta, who was good friends with Hunter S. Thompson. He was a, uh, a civil rights attorney and also was sort of a known wild man who ended up going missing. And I don't think his body was ever found, his remains. Ooh. He's suspected to have been murdered by drug dealers, potentially. <gasps> Maybe buried wow. in the desert Exactly, yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Johnny Depp went and lived with Hunter S. Thompson to prepare for this role. Ooh. Lived with him for four months, and then uh, in the process stole a bunch of his clothes. And so the, a lot of the clothes that he's wearing in this movie are Hunter the S. Thompson's actual. are good. Yeah, he had a good, uh, a good style. Yeah. And iconic style. Replicated. Bucket hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bucket hat the movie. Yeah. I like that he's always wearing shorts, too. It's, it's rare to see somebody who takes themselves seriously as a person who has just devoted their lives to wearing shorts. It's very yeah. skater, uh, Gen mm-hmm. Z skater boy vibes of yeah. today. Yeah. That's the, that's the current style. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And I love the idea of, of uh, having an attorney with you who just encourages you to be the most debaucherous person. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> As your attorney, I advise you to have a fast car and lots of guns. <laughs> uh, Benicio Del Toro gained uh, more than 45 pounds in nine weeks for this movie. And you know how he did it? Drinking ice cream. 
That's how McDonald's. everybody does it, right? He ate 16 donuts a day. Oh my God. 16. Yep. He said, he talked about it in the commentary. He said, uh, if you need to gain weight, if you eat 16 donuts a day, you will gain two pounds every single day. Oh. <laughs> Did he mention if he like got nauseous or sick or threw up? He didn't say. He, Diabetes? He, yeah. I mean, we talked about it on the Green Mile episode that Tom Hanks, that's how he what he claims that how he got type 2 diabetes was gaining the weight for a league of their own. Yeah, that's not It's risky. Good. It's risky business, folks, so be careful when you do it. 16 donuts a day. So I guess if you're spacing it out, I'm like, could I do it four in the morning? I could easily crush four donuts. <laughs> Here's a, no problem. Yeah, four I, think for we, I think we do a Patreon episode. Oh my God, let's try. 16, Each try and eat 16. Try 16 just, donuts yeah, 16 donuts oh, a day. Justin, that's a genius idea. But know we that you all, are probably going to gain two pounds in that one day. No, yeah. I'll vomit for sure. 16 donuts, <laughs> I'm puking. I think we should strap GoPros to our head and just go our separate ways, turn our GoPros on in the morning yeah. and just let loose and jack the footage, let them cut it all together. And I wonder, are, if you're eating 16 donuts, to eat 16 donuts, do you think you're just like, you're going all glaze or you're trying to be a little, you know. I think if you're doing 16, you should try vary, a couple different yeah, ones. vary it up a little bit. But if if the I, I'm thinking like Kobayashi, you know, if if the challenge is get 16 donuts down my collar, yeah, that like, I know. I think I'm gonna figure out the strategy. Sure, you know? but I the first a, couple a, a days yeast, you're wanting to have not a fun. cake donut, not a cake, not no, a cake too donut. thick, too too. Yeah. But they dry. are smaller. Cake donuts mm -hmm. are smaller, but they're thick and dry. You can pound those like cloudy, cushiony. I can pound cake donuts easily. Came out any type of donut. Nothing with powdered sugar on it. None of the the powdery ones because you'll choke on those. I think I could if I I think I could do one donut every hour easily, easily. Yeah. I don't think that for the first time. I don't think for your first day of it. I don't think sixteen donuts would be that hard. I think it'd be kind of like this is crazy. Well, you would yeah, want to be, be careful fun. not to. It'd be exciting. Fun. Now Hopping all over to different donut places. Yes, mm -hmm. each. Donut is it a different shop? Okay, Ooh. but he, the danger in that, the, but Justin, the danger in that is that you're allowing yourself to have time for your stomach to settle. You can't if you're eating 16. I don't think you can allow yourself to. If we're doing it for the mm. Patreon, we got to eat just consistently well, keep eating them because no, the second we maybe the opposite. If you though, give maybe a couple hours in between, you're gonna be feeling sick but i think you, this? you feel sick if you go too hard at one time but if you just yeah. one every you hour try or two. that Corey. You try <laughs> okay, that. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, we all okay. have our different techniques okay. yeah the idea of adapting this book had been floating around for a long time and uh some notable people who had considered making this movie were uh ralph bashke noted uh cartoonist uh, Oliver Stone, which I think he probably would have made a pretty decent version of this movie. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of natural born killers vibes in yeah. this movie. Mm -hmm. and Very much so. Martin Scorsese, who I also mm. think would have made an excellent version of this movie. Because if you think about Taxi Driver with that voiceover and that sort of deranged mm -hmm. character meets After Hours, all the craziness of After Hours, Casino we've has proven that he can do Vegas. He can showcase that. And then you throw Wolf of Wall Street on top of that, all the sort of debauchery and hedonism and drug use. It's clear Scorsese could have made a bomb ass fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. And his awesome. his choice for uh, Hunter S. Thompson was Jack Nicholson, which I think could have worked pretty well, especially Jack Nicholson in the 90s uh, could have done a pretty good one. And uh, for Dr. Gonzo, he wanted Marlon Brando. Whoa. Whoa that would have <laughs> been cool. Why didn't he do it? Uh, I think it was sort of a cursed project for a while. It was just like, you know, a lot of people thought it was unfilmable. And yeah, give it to the curse man, Terry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where do you stand on Depp's portrayal versus Bill Murray's 
portrayal. Well, I I saw where the Buffalo Roam back when I was into this movie. Wait, uh, but I don't never, even know what you're talking about. Yeah, this Explain isn't the first. The this listeners. isn't the first uh, Hunter S. Thompson movie. Mm. Another one came out in the '80s with Bill Murray as Hunter S. Thompson and uh, Peter Boyle as the Doctor Gonzo character. Oh wow! Um, called Where the Buffalo Roam. Is it similar? Very similar. It's not nearly as stylized because the director wasn't Terry Gilliam, but it's has a lot of has some repeated scenes it has similar you know bill murray is doing a uh a hunter s thompson impression and i haven't gone back and rewatched it but from my memory i remember liking the movie not liking it as much but feeling like oh this is still fun and this is a fun dabble if you're kind of interested in in the i want to go take a peek what universe. do you think justin i've, I've never seen it but no. people seem to hate it and think that it is embarrassing. <laughs> I don't remember it being embarrassing, but I was also less judgmental. I can't really because. imagine Bill Murray as this role. Johnny Depp said that Bill Murray called him right before he started making the movie and said, be careful, because uh, once you play this part, it, it's hard. It doesn't leave you. And you might 10 years from now find yourself still playing. Oh, my God. Bill Murray fucking hit the nail on and the it, head. And he did. He hit the, hit the nail on the head. And did you did you know that the Rum Diaries is a Hunter S. Thompson? Yeah. It, I didn't realize that. I remember when the Rum Diaries mm. came out and thought it was I just a cheesy that. looking bad Johnny Depp <laughs> movie. And I think it is. But it's uh, based off of a Hunter S. Thompson novel. And he is a, he's kind of like this movie because he's not technically playing Hunter S. Thompson in this movie. He's playing Raoul Duke. But Raoul Duke was sort of like Hunter S. Thompson's Ziggy Stardust. He was sort of the character that he would put in his books that was his uh, avatar. Basically looked, talked, acted just like Is that where he met him. Amber Heard? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, they end up picking up a hitchhiker. We get a fun little cameo from Spider-Man himself, mm -hmm. Tobey Maguire. His hair is so gross. Yes, he I looks like it. he's straight out of Texas Chainsaw. Yes, yeah. he does. <laughs> it's perfect. Have you seen, so the, all the, um, Ralph Steadman was the artist that did all the, the drawings for the books, and uh, uh -huh. he, he did it for all of Hunter S. Thompson's stuff. And a lot of this movie is inspired, you know, the look of this movie is very much inspired by those drawings because they're so iconic. And yeah, he, Tobey Maguire's character looks exactly like the drawing of the hitchhiker. It's, wow. they, they, they emulated him perfectly. Uh, and he actually shaved his head for this role. He wasn't a huge, he hadn't done Spider-Man yet, so he wasn't like a huge, huge actor. But he was part of the Pussy Posse with old DiCaprio and Lucas Haas. And if anybody wants to learn more about the Pussy Posse and see a, <laughs> a very interesting movie, they all made a movie called Don's Plum. Mm -mm. And um, it's fascinating. It. They all kind of wrote it together. DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire, that whole group, they kind of like came up with it together. You've and not there, seen was... the clips of this ever before, Justin? No. Oh my God, it's... What's it called? Hilarious. Don's Plum. And it all takes place at this restaurant called Don's Plum. And it's where they all go to, to gather to meet and hang out. And they're essentially all playing versions of themselves. They're, they're also trying to be Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> trying to do like that Kevin Smith Tarantino dialogue where they're just talking about stuff. There's a lot of really problematic oh, things that they talk about. Yes. The filmmaker who, who was directing it Ended up cutting it together, took him a long time, but by the time he was finished with it, Titanic had come out. <laughs> Everybody was much bigger than they were when they made the movie, and because uh -huh. of all the problematic stuff in the movie, nobody wanted it to come out. DiCaprio didn't want it to come out, Tobey Maguire didn't want it to come out, but the director was oh. like, but I made the fucking movie, I'm going to do it. And so they ended up suing him and getting into this big court case for them to just bury the movie. But of course... 
he ended up getting sneaking it out. I think he put it online for free, like in the early 2000s. And oh now you can go God. watch, you can rent it. Like I rented it from a uh, cinephile and I'm sure Videotech probably has a copy of it. It's worth watching. It's black and white, um, 16 millimeter, but it's all your favorite actors just talking about the work, smoking cigarettes, doing drugs. It's fascinating. So they end up making it to Vegas. I think another big sequence is the when they first go to Vegas and they're high on LSD. Honestly, I think this is the best drug sequence it is. of the movie. It weirdly mm. though did make me want to go to Vegas too. Like no this way. I fucking love Vegas. <laughs> no. And way. this movie made me it just I kind of got the itch of like, mm, I want to go back to Vegas soon. <laughs> yeah, I can't say it made me want to go back to. I mean, Vegas is cool you from like, like a cinematography Vegas. standpoint. You cannot. Oh, I do. Deny. I do like Vegas. I will say, as I get older, my tolerance for Vegas has gone down. Like I used to say that I could spend a two full days in Vegas and then I had to leave. Now I feel like I'm down to a day. I think two days is perfect. But yeah, I, I, I enjoy Vegas. There's there's a quality. I mean, you have to be ready to just embrace it and lose your money and know that you're going to lose your money, but have fun doing it and suck in that oxygen that they pump out mm-hmm. and suck down those drinks that they pump mm-hmm. out and maybe win some money, but it's no guarantee. But when you do, boy, it feels good. Ooh, I remember winning. like no other. I remember dropping that fucking $5 bill into the Gremlin slot machine and winning $250, Ooh. and I felt like the king of the Mogwais. Yeah. It was a great <laughs> night. I wanted to pay for everybody's drinks, even though mm-hmm. they were free. Um, yeah, this is a cool sequence. They're, they're on LSD, and so they, they walk in. Immediately, people's faces start warping, which I think the warp effects kind of look good yeah mm-hmm. for the they time okay. and the he looks down at the floor and the carpet has this really interesting design on it that starts moving and like slithering up people's legs yeah that was cool mm-hmm. and from you know i've done mushrooms a few times and that is the number one thing that uh-huh. i feel like movies get right about hallucinogenics is that moving pattern that's real yeah there's a lot of things that i think movies exaggerate about the experience but the patterns moving is real. And it was my favorite aspect of Mushrooms was just looking at wallpaper. <laughs> it was so fun to just sit and stare at wallpaper because it, it slithers and moves and grows. And I would not want to be on drugs in a casino. Oh, I feel like no. it's way, way, no. way, way, way too overwhelming. It's like I want to be outside in nature. And that's maybe it. Which I remember the first time I ever did Mushrooms, the person who was like leading me through it specifically told me not to look in a mirror. Mm. She was like, it's important mm-hmm. you don't look in a mirror. And like before the trip had hit, I like had to go pee. And I remember thinking like, okay, I guess I'm like feeling something, but like I don't, I'm not like seeing anything crazy or whatever. And I got up and then I just like, I was in a bathroom and I started looking at myself in the mirror and things did start like moving. And I'll never forget, she like kicked the door open and she was like, do not look in the mirror. She like dragged me out. And then the rest of it was a very amazing experience. But I'm like, oh, I could see how you could get trapped Mm -hmm. in a mirror and never leave and be fucking terrified. And Oof. that's because I mean, things yeah. move and shift. And the last thing you want is to be looking in a your mirror own and face. see your own yeah. face shifting. Yeah. It might no, scare uh, you. <laughs> nope. It's hilarious. All the things that they keep introducing that are not wouldn't be scary in real life, yeah. but are terrifying to him. Like there's like a woman who has like a fluffy scarf on and yeah. she 
and he goes, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know exactly how he feels. Yeah. So, like, all those things become, like, monstrous. Right. When, uh, My favorite detail yeah. is there's, like, a cowboy guy talking on the phone, and you sort of, like, hear his conversation sort of in the background, and his conversation is like, yeah, they cut her head off, put it in her bag, buried it in the car. So how's your mom? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so this this whole sequence sort of culminates with him going into this bar area that's filled with mirrors and stuff, and all these people are there, and he turns around, and they all have turned into these giant lizard people. I was right in the middle of a fucking reptile zoo, and somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. It won't be long now before they tear us to shreds. These lizards look fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a cool ass scene. Honestly, this is the coolest sequence in the movie. Yeah. And it's to the movie's detriment that it's within the first 10 minutes of the fucking yeah. piece. Rob, um, Rob Bottin. Yeah. Rob Bottin did these creatures who uh, you people would know from The Thing. He's a master special effects artist. Uh, he did all the effects in the thing. He also did the effects in the howling. Just knowing how budgets are are on these things are so out of control. The camera is tracking back, mm-hmm. revealing lizards, and I'm like, okay, it's surely going to stop now. And the camera keeps going, and there's more and more yeah. and more lizards. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> well, did you hear how they did it? No, there's a. I was able to find an American cinematographer uh, piece on the whole movie, and they were supposed to have twenty five. Uh, puppets, animatronic uh-huh. and puppet heads of these things. But Rob Bottin essentially kind of did this as a favor. So he was only, they didn't have the budget to give him, but he wanted to be a part of it. So he was like, I'll make them for whatever you got. And I think they were only able to give him like $50,000. So he was like, well, for that, I can make you six heads, not 25. So what Terry Gilliam did in order to turn those six heads into 25 or more, he uh, got them to get a motion control rig. And so that shot where it pulls back down the down the aisle mm, is a motion control rig. And they would just, they would shoot it once with six creatures and then they would go and redress the creatures and oh. put them in a different area and they would shoot it again and just layered the same six creatures, but all in different outfits and wardrobes to make a shot that looks like there's like 50 of them. Wow. And they also utilized all the mirrors in the rooms too to sort of make the room look bigger mm-hmm. and everything. But I thought that was really creative. And you, I mean, the shot has this interesting something's going on with it quality to it, but it, it looks mm-hmm. incredible. It doesn't yeah. look like bad green screen or anything like that. No, it looks great. And the creatures start fucking each other and the floor fills with blood. And he's like, somebody give me some golf shoes. Uh, watching them just have this big lizard orgy. It's awesome. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's the it's unfortunately the peak of the, of the movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. There's a shot where a bowl of peanuts turns into a bowl of maggots. Do you remember that? Yes. And like one of the one of the lizards like mm-hmm. eats them. Yeah. Corey and I just had a horrible experience with maggots this I week. don't why I, I what? this was we were not even going to talk about it and now you're telling anybody who will listen about these what maggots. What happened? So Tell me. The it's been getting hot here in LA and um when it gets hot, you start seeing flies outside. And so if you have your doors or windows open, sometimes you get flies inside. So there was a day where we had the door open and before we knew it, we had like 10 flies buzzing around the house. So we closed the door and we spent the whole fucking day killing these flies. And you would think you'd get them all and then an hour later, you'd hear one buzzing and you'd have to go kill it again. And then probably like four or five days later, we open up the trash can and our trash can in the kitchen is filled with maggots. 
real Film. creepy crawling moving around and like because of we opened up the the top of it some of them like flung out onto the floor justin it was the grossest fucking thing i've ever seen i assume one of the flies made its way into the trash can and we didn't know and then laid its little fucking baby eggs in there and those turned into I'm going to say there was a hundred maggots. Oh my God. And it could, it could happen that quickly. Yes. It happened it in like, in like over the three, course of like four or five days. If you look up like the life of a fly to a maggot, it all happens. They lay their eggs. They're born within like three days. It's horrible. Flying. And it was wow. a nightmare because they had gotten into the mechanics of the trash can, you know, like just even just, it's just a trash can that you like step on the thing yeah. and it opens it. But there's like, guts and gears and stuff at the bottom of that and they had gotten in there so i had to take the trash can out dump boiling hot water into it multiple times and we're still sort of reeling from it uh so yeah folks if you're listening watch out for those flies keep your trash cans closed i i watched a lot of tiktoks about how to keep them out and a big thing is putting salt at the bottom of your trash can and in your big ones outside Soak a piece of bread in vinegar. Put that on the bottom of your trash can. I don't know why, but somehow it keeps away mm. the flies and maggots. Hot tip for you. I also really like the sequence that's, I think, right after this, where um, Benicio de Toro thinks he's like on a carousel in the bar. Yeah, so that's the next big drug sequence is the, the bazooko circus sequence. Ooh, that one got me good. Like, you loved it? It was just the sc- it felt like the scariest thing to me. Mm. Like the lizards and all of that was just really cool, yeah. but the the circus was like that's when I started feeling the stress of the mm-hmm. movie really hit me at this point. Of like, yeah. they can't get out of it. They can't get out of it. Like this is just stressful. Yeah, it, it heightened the stress for sure. Uh, circus stuff in general is not very comfortable, uh-huh. even when you're totally sober. <laughs> yeah, the, it was the um, fir- it was. I, I usually never get when people are like, I'm scared of clowns. I'm always like, oh, that's basic. No, you're not. Yeah. Um, but watching this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is an actual scary clown sequence that works. I have to say the bazooka clown sequence to me does feel a little basic. Like it doesn't, I think it's trying to be crazier and one-upping the LSD sequence. Mm-hmm. It never really transcends feeling like a Halloween horror ride walk through to me well the clown i guess that that's kind of true but the sequence when benicio del toro feels like he can't yeah. get off the carousel once it starts to focus on benicio it gets it's better specifically that sequence that yeah sticks out to it's me. really funny because he's they're on ether and i love the the description that he does to describe what it's like on ether is is, is great he says makes you behave like the village drunkard in some early irish novel total loss of all basic motor skills Blurred vision, no balance, numb tongue. The mind recoils in horror, unable to communicate with the spinal column. Which is interesting because you can actually watch yourself behaving in this terrible way, but you can't control it. Sounds like a fucking yeah. nightmare. Um, and it is supposed to be a nightmare. They're walking past all these clowns and there's like a trapeze act going on with like a fucking wolverine or something. And they pass like an orangutan and there's like a clansman and there's dwarves. I think um, Vern Troyer is in this sequence. He gets a little cameo. Um, Corey, were you there when, I, I'm not going to say the name mm-hmm. of the friend, but were you there at a birthday party of a friend where when I gifted somebody artwork of a clown, Pennywise? Yes. 
and somebody yes, got I was. really upset. Yeah. Yes, I was. That was the first time I've w- basically- <laughs> That had to be put un- into another room. We unwrapped a <laughs> custom clown painting that I had uh, a friend make. Good painting. Some, it's really good. Someone at the party, we didn't know, had a s- severe- a phobia of clowns mm-hmm. and started to to cry and i didn't know that that was something i needed to provide and uh, and then it had oh, to be a trigger put warning to another yeah. room yeah and there was one of those awkward things where like nobody knew how legitimate she was at, like being, i know i was you know? like is this a bit is it a bit is she being funny is she making it more and we all kind of slowly realized like She's not joking. Like she has an yeah. actual. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just looked it up. Calrophobia is the fear of clowns. Cow. 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 You know, like a cowl that around cowl. your neck. Okay. Calrophobia. Uh-huh. Wow. Um. Yeah, that was interesting. And and then we had to figure out what to do with the, with the painting because it was a situation where it was like, what do we, what do we need to do with this thing then? And yeah. In order for this person to have a decent experience here, um. Yeah, I, once once it starts to focus on Benicio, once he gets stuck on the the merry-go-round, I did start to like enjoy the sequence more. Yes, that's the best it part. It legitimately made me dizzy. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Interesting thing I learned from Johnny Depp's commentary, he used an earwig for this movie, but not for his dialogue. He, he had an earwig so that they could pump in the VO so that when he was doing the scenes where the VO was on top, he would kind of know the timing of it and know how to react to it. But he said on top of that, he asked the sound person to pipe in as weird of things as they could think of during wow. like these drug sequences. And so he said like during these sequences where he's supposed to act high, he would be hearing like the sounds of like bagpipes and babies crying That's and car accidents cool. and weird psychedelic music. I think part of the reason why it's hard to understand Johnny Depp is his cigarette holder in his mouth. He really never takes it out of this movie and he's talking through it for most of it. And it's sort of like the effect of like vampire teeth, you know? Like, don't you hate that when you're watching a movie and they're like, (laughs) I'm a vampire. I can suck you big. What the fuck? Can you give us a reference <laughs> of what movie you're talking about? I don't feel about? like that happened. <laughs> when, <laughs> Come on. Go watch episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show, and anytime a vampire comes out, I'm like, Buffy, I'm here to kiss you. Yeah. I'm really Buffy. scary. Okay, okay. I'm yeah, so okay. We got it. Aren't you scary me, Buffy? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm wow. angry. Jack, please. <laughs> You'll fall in love with David me. David Branza or whatever his name is never saw it. Like we that. will have vampire babies. Oh my God. You've Stop never it. watched it. I hate this. Um, Cameron Diaz has a little cameo in this movie. I totally, mm-hmm. yeah. There's actually a lot of cameos there in this are. movie. Uh, but it made me think, I miss Cameron Diaz. I feel like my hot take is that we didn't know what we had when, when well, she, she was Well, she also retired from acting. I know. But I miss her. Oh, yeah. I, I think she retired because she wasn't appreciated. Mm. I'm not saying she was the best actress in the world, but I think she brought something good. Oh, my I think gosh. She's, she's, I love Cameron I think she's Diaz. good in this scene. I think she's good in The Mask. I think she's good in Gangs in New York and Charlie's Angels. I think she's always good, but people shit on her. Again, it's that sometimes if you're too beautiful, people think you're bad when you're not, unfairly. It happened to Brad Pitt. Happened to fucking Tom Cruise, and I think we shoot her away unnecessarily. What's your take? What do you th- think about Cameron Diaz? 
I don't think she's bad, but I think The Holiday is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Now, see, that's another one that I like. And I, I think she's good holiday. in it. The Holiday. She's I, hilarious. She's funny. She's sexy. I mean, it's an insane movie, but if it's not a Christmas Ooh. classic. What I like about The Holiday is I like that one of the characters is a film composer, Jack Black. He's a film composer. <laughs> yeah. And so all of his it. bits are like, you know, he's like, listen to this Ennio Morricone score. And he, he gets really into it. And I'm like, you don't see that in movies very often, especially rom-coms. I like yeah, the holiday. Not for me. Not for me. <laughs> well, I but would yeah, love to see her come out of retirement because I think she's due up for- I heard a rumor that she was coming out to do something, but I can't remember. She's now married to the guy from Good Charlotte. Ooh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Lifestyles of the rich and the famous. And the other, the other Good Charlotte brother's married to Nicole Richie. We didn't know we had. Um, another big uh, sequence is the, the sequence where Benicio Del Toro has a bad acid trip. And um, decides he wants to kill himself while listening to to White Rabbit. This is pretty. I funny. think this is a great scene. Yeah, is this when he's in the bathtub? Yeah. See, this scene grossed me out. I was it ready for gross. it to be done. Was he like shitting? Why was the water brown? Is he shitting in it? <laughs> There's like cigarette butts and beer cans. I remember the first time I heard uh, White Rabbit. I thought it was the coolest song I'd ever heard. It is a cool song. It's yeah. really fucking cool. I think I saw it, it really first good. in uh, the game. The mm. David Fincher movie. There's a scene where he walks into his. Apartment. Oh, there's a moment where Johnny Depp mentions a club or something called the Matrix. Did you catch that? No. Mm-mm. There's a place he mentions in the movie called the Matrix, and I was like, "Wow, that came out before mm-hmm. the night the the movie." Mm-hmm. And also, too, I feel like White Rabbit and stuff was... Yeah, White was Rabbit, it? I think, definitely... He's following the White Rabbit yeah. in the... And then they ended up using the song White Rabbit for Matrix 4 yeah. trailers. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do. That was a cool song. I was really into also uh, the other Jefferson Airplane song, Somebody to Love, because Jim Carrey sings it in the karaoke sequence of yeah. The Cable Guy. <laughs> so I was like real into Jefferson Airplane at this time. Did you notice the connection between this movie and Green Mile? Mm. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. There was, was it an actor? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 Deliquan. Yeah, Michael Jeter, yeah. It, it's almost like you looked up I know. <laughs> and saw that he was in fear and loathing and then suggested. <laughs> Didn't like, happen. Jack must have known. <laughs> Did not happen. There's one sequence in this movie where the movie tries to be sincere and I don't particularly like it. And it's the scene that starts out with Johnny Depp typing at a typewriter and then the voiceover comes on and the voiceover starts talking about like the hippie generation. There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever we were doing was right, that we were winning. We were riding a wave of change and it felt important. That wave eventually broke and rolled back, you know, and it's got this like cheesy song that that Youngblood mm-hmm. song, like, come on, people now, shine on your brother. <laughs> and he's like standing at the window looking out and you're seeing all these things. And I understand this, this passage is in the book. He does say that mm-hmm. in the book. But in the context of the movie, it feels like a studio note to me. Like it feels like the somebody said, "Oh, we got to give some lip service to the fact that like trying to add some sort of moral commentary on like the reason why so many people are like lost in this acid generation is because of like the death of the American dream and Nixon and all this stuff." And I get it, but at the same time, I don't like the execution of it in this movie. It felt cheesy as hell to me, especially coming in the middle 
of all this debauchery. And I'm sort of like, he's not been thinking this way the whole movie. And now all of a sudden he's just sitting in a room reminiscing on like uh, how hippies had it right, but they failed. I don't know. Yeah. I almost wish that they they introduce his character a little bit more. Like Like you said, the movie kind of starts out off quick and good, mm-hmm. but I think the movie would have benefited if they left that scene for a little bit later so we can get a chance to know him when he's a little bit more grounded. Yeah. Rather than getting to know him when he's already fried out of his mind. Ebert kind of nailed it in his review for the movie. Ebert said, the reason why I like the book but don't like the movie is that there's a difference between hearing a person tell you about their crazy drunken stories (laughs) than watching the drunken person actually do the crazy stories. He's like, in the book... Hunter S. Thompson is speaking in the past tense. He's telling you about an experience that he had. In the right. movie, you're having to actually watch the experience and it's exhausting and it's draining and Oops. it's not funny. Very um, accurate. And, and I think that's kind of it. And to me, this sequence also qualifies in that where it's like, if you're reading the book and it's Hunter S. Thompson supposedly writing in sort of a sober state of mind, his feelings on the hippie generation, I can accept that. I can't really accept Johnny Depp in the middle of having <laughs> almost killed Benicio del Toro in the tub. Now all of a sudden he stops and thinking about that. It's just sort of like doesn't feel right <laughs> in yeah. the context of the movie. Um, but I will say I, I think that the movie is supremely benefited by the voiceover in general. Like part of the reason why this movie is digestible is that you get to hear the prose of the book read in voiceover. And uh, I think if you didn't have all the voiceover in the movie, this movie would maybe be unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what happens halfway through the movie is it does start to become unbearable. Mm -hmm. Totally. And they're supposed to descend into hell, but it's not very exciting descent into hell. Yeah. It's just like, it just feels exhausting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So then we get a Gary Busey sequence. He decides he's going to leave Vegas. And on the way back to L.A., the Gary Busey scene is fun. He's driving right? like a madman and he gets pulled over. But it's funny because he doesn't pull over right away. He tries to lose. <laughs> he tries to lose the car. He dry, It's basically like a little chase sequence. And when he finally does pull over, it's Busey who gets out of the car. Hi, how are you? Just what in the hell did you think you were doing? I want to know. You realize what you did when you drive like that? Yeah, I know. I'm guilty. I understand that. I knew it was a crime. I did it anyway. Should I argue I'm a fucking criminal? Look at me. You have a strange attitude. Maybe. You know, I have a feeling you need to take a nap. There's a rest area just up ahead. I'd like you to go up there, pull over, and get a few hours sleep. That's not going to help me. I've been awake for too long. Three or four nights, maybe. can't remember. I go to sleep now. I'm dead for 20 hours. Here's how it is. What I put in my book as of noon is that I apprehended you for driving too fast. I advise you to proceed to the next rest area. Stop! Busey's just always... He's 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 always funny. He's He's great. The greatest Gary Busey stuff is go watch the behind the scenes of Predator 2. He takes that character, a character of a government official hunting the Predator, so 
seriously and he has all these <laughs> theories and thoughts on it he's like i've been to the other side where i went there and i know that we are just a speck on this universe <laughs> and that one of these days a being is going to come from another planet and it's about time it's about damn time i tell you wow <laughs> yet again another great, i know uh, voice in <laughs> <laughs> uh, but busey's funny in this scene what's funny to me about it is that busey has this really threatening energy but yeah. the whole time he's basically just encouraging him to go take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to arrest you. I just need you to go back to the rest stop and take a long nap. Uh, but then the scene ends with him being like, Can I get a kiss? Can I have a little kiss? It's very lonely out here. <laughs> and uh, uh, Johnny Depp said that he was not comfortable with this. This was an ad lib. Uh, Gary. <laughs> Of course it was. Gary and Terry Gilliam came up with it while they were shooting. It was not the way it was written. And they kind of sprung it on him. And Johnny was like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Like when you're when you're shooting a scene, you know, as an actor, you you find things, you do things, you go along with it. So I, I just went along with it. But I kind of didn't expect them to put it in the movie. And when I saw it, I, I called Terry and I said, I, I just I don't think this works because it implies that he raped me. <laughs> because the scene after it like hard cuts from that line to him driving the car and the voiceover literally does say like i felt raped he had used me yeah. on every end and uh you know maybe i deserved it and he was like i think people are gonna think he actually did rape me did you have any f- no i didn't think that no. at all he asked for a kiss i imagine he gave him a little peck on the lips and then was on his way yeah yeah i did not think anything terry gilliam said that he met uh, Gary Busey while shooting the Fisher King because Busey and Jeff Bridges are very close friends. Oh. I bet you get those two in a room together with a bottle of whiskey, you have a good conversation between you. They said too that while shooting this movie, he was wearing a, a WWJD bracelet because he had he had become a born like a again. born again Christian. Wow, what would Jesus do? And the and the producer said nothing. You just did in that scene, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think Jesus would skip to the end of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we can't skip Christopher. Did you like Maloney? Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say we can't skip Christopher Maloney's cameo. I did. I thought he did a really good job. I, I really liked yeah. this sequence because I loved him getting revenge on mm-hmm. that piece of shit. He's always funny. He's always I funny. Love, I love Maloney, and I think he rides the tone perfectly in this because he's playing a, like an effeminate gay man, but he's not playing it too over the top. Like he's kind of nailing it. For me, mm-hmm. funny enough and real enough and works well enough in the tone of and the whole movie. Sweet, sweet fucking revenge. Yeah, it's a good scene for him for yeah. like being because I don't know how well known Maloney was. He was this definitely before or after Wet Hot American Summer? This was probably before. I think before. I want to say Wet Hot American Summer was maybe the year 2000 mm. and um, definitely before SVU. I think he had done Bound at this point, but he's kind of, a, you know, a side character in Bound, even though he's really good in it. Uh, he's always good. Christopher Maloney is one of the greatest. He's he's a little bit of a chameleon. For a guy who's pretty got like a big shape and build to him and seems very specific, he can morph into different types mm-hmm. of characters. Yeah. And then we see Christina Ricci. So yeah, then right? we get I don't like this Christina Ricci. I don't Ricci like the Christina Ricci segment at all. No. Only thing I liked was just seeing a bunch of funny Barbara Streisand. Barbara yes, yeah. That is funny. And yeah, they spend a lot of time on this sequence of having to like be afraid that they're gonna get in trouble for like pedophilia, even though it's it's never necessarily implied that Dr. Gonzo did do anything to her. It's implied that they will get in trouble for it. 
if they get caught with her. So they mm-hmm. have to get rid of her. And I think the movie thinks this is going to be like really tense or maybe really funny. I think they think it's going to be funny. I, I don't think it's either of those things. No. It just kind of no. prolonged. Um, mm-hmm. The only notable thing is that they go and they abandon her at one of those little white chapels with an Elvis uh, impersonator that marries people. And I did attend a wedding for my brother at one of these chapels and he did get married uh, to Elvis. Not to Elvis, by Elvis. I'm sorry, by Elvis. Elvis did <laughs> did marry him. And I got to say, uh, it was great. It was a great uh, experience. They did a great job. The Elvis was good. The in pers- an alternate reality, mm-hmm. I could see us of getting married in Vegas. Like in an alternate, like I loved our wedding, mm-hmm. but... If I could have a second wedding, I would fly everybody to Vegas and have like a huge crazy party and like get married like by an Elvis. I think it'd be really fun. I agree. I think that's you 100% post wedding saying that because I think you would never have even floated that idea before. Our Maybe, wedding. but like the idea of like telling everybody to get like in crazy fun, sparkly yeah, outfits I like it too. and like the pictures on the strip would be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the final sort of like big drug sequence in this movie is the adrenochrome sequence. Which mm-hmm. is kind of at the tail end of this Christina Ricci segment, where um, I'm so tired by this point. It is very mm-hmm. tiring. It's by far the longest drug sequence and the most exhausting. I think they do the most in it. Like they really try to. Benicio del Toro at one point turns into like a demon devil with like horns and tits all over his back, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they do like a floating furniture, and the room fills up with water, and they. The lights are doing crazy. They go all out. But yeah, at this point in the movie, you're so, you're almost checked out a little bit, or at least I, I am. Fully, fully. So and yeah. There was one one more cameo uh, at the end of that scene, hmm. or yeah, the Ooh. maid. Did you recognize her? No. Was that? John I've... Connor's mom. Oh, stepmom? Stepmom, yeah. Uh, Terminator 2? Terminator 2 and Aliens. Uh, yeah, there's our Terminator she's, 2 connection. She's Vasquez in Aliens. What is her name? Jeanette Goldstein. Jeanette Goldstein, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad it was her. Well, Hunter S. Thompson has a cameo too. Yeah. Flea has a cameo. Oh, yeah. Flea. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Lyle Flea Lovett. from Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, uh-huh. wow. We really He's brought in that base, Red Hot Chili Peppers player. today. He's literally only in the movie for a second, but I quote his line all the time. What's the trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of that that was kind of funny with the guy who walks in on them and then yeah. it, and then it takes a beat to like sit with him. His life as... was never the same after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of rear projection in this movie too that I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And a fun fact about the rear projection. Did you know that Michael Mann had another TV show called Vegas before Miami Vice? No. It was basically Miami Vice, but set in Vegas. It's Vegas with a dollar sign as the S at the end. And um, all the rear projection used in this movie is pulled from the television show Vegas mm. by Michael Mann. That's cool. Uh, and then we get the Ellen Barkin sequence, which we sort of touched upon, but I love Ellen Barkin. I wish the sequence meant more because I think she's good in it. I think Benicio is really good in it, but the sequence itself has little impact because mm-hmm. you don't understand why it's happening. Because Benicio Del Toro's character is just sort of unhinged. Like Even his, his actions don't feel like they really have a deep-rooted purpose or meaning to them. It, it ends with Johnny Depp 
about to walk out with the plate, which I remember mm-hmm. thinking like, oh, what a scumbag. Like they, yeah. that's a plate she's going to have to replace, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but then he puts it back and I was like, that's all that this character is capable of doing. That's the extent of mm-hmm. what this character is able to gesture something redeemable. Yeah. But it, it so I guess it was kind of interesting in that regard, but still just like left me feeling gross and really uncomfortable like just yeah. le- them leaving her and she's kind of like shaking and uh, mm-hmm. she's frozen in fear uh, uh, man yeah just, I d- but i have the same feelings because i like the scene like the mm-hmm. scene is technically good the performances are really engaging and and the the tension is there but yeah there is like this sort of unsatisfying meaningless to the scene mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, and then the movie comes to an end. He goes, he ends up going back to, to Los Angeles to safety, obscurity, just another freak in the freak kingdom. And you get a good Rolling Stones, jumping Jack Flash, it's a gas. <laughs> right off into the sunset. Right off into the sunset of uh, the eject tray on my Blu-ray player. <laughs> <laughs> and in the Dropbox at Videotech. Yep, yep. Well, let's take one more break and we'll be right back with final thoughts on fear Fear and and loathing loathing in in Las Vegas. Vegas, Vegas, Nevada. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final fucking thoughts on fear and fucking loathing in Las Vegas. What did you think of the style overall of the movie? Like, what do you, what Gilliam brings to it stylistically? Impressive? I think so. I think so. It, it's a, it, he managed to exhaust the hell out of me. You know, sure. that requires some talent, for sure. sure. It, it's just, none of the pros to me are more valuable than the cons yeah the cons are just too many in number we've we've covered them all it's just not a fun movie to rewatch. that's for sure yeah i Mm -hmm. don't think it's a fun movie to study um i don't think the cinematography is that great that like i I don't think i would 
ever really use this as a reference for an entire feature film. Maybe mm-hmm. if we had like a sequence we wanted to film. Desert sequence. Desert sequence. Hey, let's mm-hmm. reference let's reference this. But yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's that not opening sequence is really exciting. The the wide sometimes the wide angle lens of a Terry Gilliam movie gets on my nerves. Mm-hmm. I really do like the wide angle lenses in the desert mm-hmm. sequence at the beginning when they're in the mm-hmm. car and everything. I think all that stuff looks great. And the way he swings it down and he uses the movement of the camera to sort of transition from shot to shot. Yeah. It it's got a good fun energy to it. I think if this movie came on TV and it's at the beginning of the movie, I'll probably stop and watch it. But I'll, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to jump ship at some point. Yeah. And if I come in on the movie in the middle or towards the end, I'm probably not even going to stop. No way. I'm going to be like, nah. Keep nah. driving past Vegas, go back to mm-hmm. Barstow. Yep. Don't collect $200. Mm-hmm. He should do the Monopoly movie. And Johnny Depp should play uh, mm. Barnes. Corey's just shaking her head. Just money bags. By this. And Benicio Del Toro should play the shoe. All right, let's all check out. Um, yeah. What's the trouble? Flea, he's playing the top hat. This is becoming a nightmare. <laughs> kind of Corey, much, like the movie. much like a film Cor- we just talked about. I, Corey, agree, go. I agreed completely with Justin. Um, mm. I think this movie, if you want to watch it, watch the first 20 minutes and then that's all you should watch. I mean, I think once once they get to their hotel room... I can turn this movie off. I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we have kids and they have blue teenagers <laughs> and they want to watch it, I'll say, enjoy your journey. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's too exhausting. It's too exhausting. And I, I like a movie with a storyline. I like emotion. This just, it ain't for me. It yeah. Ain't for me. I'll be quick. I agree. I think Terry Gilliam thought this movie was going to shock and awe. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if it was more shocking, I think it would be better. Unfortunately, it is just exhausting. And and that is its ultimate problem. As for my copy of it, there's no way I'm getting rid of it. No, this I is mean, a, that's beautiful. This is a beautiful edition. I do think the movie is like just iconic enough to be worthy to stay in the collection. Uh, you know, it's maybe my third favorite Gilliam movie. Now, that's not saying much. He's not my favorite director. Oh, no, it would be fourth because I got to put Holy Grail before it. Um, but uh, yeah, don't love it. It's a it's a two and a half star out of five for me. But those two stars are good enough for me to want to hold on to it. And now that we've said everything there is to say about fear and loathing in Las Vegas, what do you say we play... Drugs on film. <laughs> Drugs on film. Quiz. Did you miss the entrance? Yes, I missed it. I God, missed it. God. Can I do it one more time? No, no. You have to include this. Drugs on film. No. <laughs> oh my God. Drugs on film. What is Quiz. You have to include both. I don't understand. You have to include both. I don't understand. Drugs on film. Like, it's not that hard. This is the drugs on film quiz. (laughs) It is multiple choice. You know how to do this. Now, I do repeat the rules every time. And you guys get mad at me. But here's the thing. You don't do them. Okay, sure. We'll say our name. We'll let you complete Say your name first. Let me complete the multiple choice answers. Then say your name 
and then you can say the answer. Okay, but how, how about also this time if Justin has six points and I have none, you don't have to repeat it after every question. I, I agree. I think that's a flaw. I think we can all take our notes <laughs> and incorporate them to make a better product for the listeners. Okay. Question number one. Justin. Hey. <laughs> you're nice, cheating. Justin. Nice. <laughs> you're cheating. What? What's the problem? Trouble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> can I take it again? No, just kidding. Go. Question number one. What substance was used to create the cocaine that Johnny Depp snorts in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Is it A, powdered milk, B, powdered sugar, C, powdered eggs, or D, flour? Corey, powdered milk? Ding, ding, ding! Corey gets a point. Thank you. Also, that was also what they used in Scarface. Yeah, that's how I think I knew it. Question number two. God, they said that Johnny Depp could have milked the crew with how much Ew. powdered milk he snorted. He could have milked the crew? Mm -hmm. Or the crew could have milked him. Yeah. I have nipples, Greg. <laughs> Can you milk me? <laughs> Robert De Niro. It's the second time Meet the Parents has come up on this podcast. Question number two. To prepare for his role in Requiem for a Dream, Jared Leto would actually inject himself with what substance? <laughs> To simulate the him. feeling of using heroin. <laughs> Is it A, water, B, Coca-Cola, C, iced tea, or D, Gatorade? I, this sounds like bullshit. Like, I, know, I just don't believe like anything bullshit. this guy does. I know. Trick question. None of the above. He no, sucks. this is, I mean, I can't, I can't verify water? its truth. Corey water? Ding, ding, ding. Corey gets two. Because I think the other things would actually maybe kill you. That's true. That's true. He did say that he would still feel a high from it. Like he would put water into his veins? He like would that inject could water into his veins. maybe kill you too. God. I do know that air will kill you because air I remember will. at the end of Apt Pupil, that's how he kills him is he just injects air into his yeah. IV. Um, that's oh the only God. reason why I know that. Question number three. Mm. While filming The Empire Strikes Back, mm -hmm. Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford got absolutely shwasted with what band before coming to set on Cloud City? Is it A, Styx, B, ACDC, C, The Rolling Stones, or D, The Grateful Dead? Justin, I'm going to guess Rolling Stones. Ding, ding, ding! Yeah. Justin has a point on the board. Well done. Okay, <laughs> let's see if you can get this one. <laughs> Question number four. Dennis Quaid has stated in interviews that one of his films had a hefty and thinly disguised portion of the budget dedicated to cocaine. Which film? Is it A, The Right Stuff, B, Enemy Mine, C, Jaws 3D, or D, The Big Easy? Corey, Jaws 3D? Ding, 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 ding! I've heard that story somewhere. I do believe that all four of those films, he was high on cocaine for most of it. I think he has admitted that, but Jaws is the one where he said that a portion of the budget was dedicated to cocaine. Wow. Pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Question number five. This is a fun one, folks. While filming the modern day sequences in the movie Titanic, 
director James Cameron, actor Bill Paxton, and the entire cast and crew were all hospitalized when a crew member laced the clam chowder with what drug? Corey. Wait. But I already know the answer. Just wait. A, LSD. B, PCP. C, mushrooms. Or D, marijuana. Corey, PCP. Ding, ding, ding. Why? A sh- a co- a somebody on the crew did it. Yeah, it was it's really a, fucked up. It's a up. mystery. Nobody a knows who did it or why they did yeah. it. But they did it on purpose. Yeah, and they like a bunch had to go to the hospital. People thought they were like actually dying. Yeah, and they were like, "You guys the are entire, all on PCP." The only right one who now. didn't have to go to the hospital was James Cameron because he, when he realized it, he went and forced himself to throw up, so he didn't have to be hospitalized. But everybody they thought else- it was just horrible food poisoning that was like killing them. And then when they were at the hospital, they were like, "You guys are all." I would have fired on the PCP. entire catering company or whoever it was. For sure, everybody yeah. loses their job. They said it in the hospital though, when everybody was there. They all like started to kind of reach their peaks of being high and it started to mm-hmm. become kind of fun. And they said they do, were doing conga lines <laughs> and like doing wheelchair races in the hallways <laughs> because they're all fucked up. Um, question number six. So Corey has just updating since we're kind of partially in there. No, it's okay. Just go to the question. <laughs> Corey has five. I think Justin's only gotten one. So wow. This is my, the big. I don't know about drugs. Switch. I'm, a, I'm pure. I'm yeah. Pure. You know what she's doing, Justin? Corey is smoking me. Smoking you, dude. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Move. Last question. <laughs> nope. 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 We've got two more. Okay, go. Oh, question it's number so six. Slow. We're, we're question losing number subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> While filming Splash, directed by Ron Howard, John Candy showed up to set wasted because he ran into what famous celebrity who insisted on buying him drinks? Was it A, Bill Murray, B, Sean Connery, C, Jack Nicholson, or D, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Justin. A, Bill Murray. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Ding, ding, ding. Justin gets it correct. Yeah. And Ron Howard said that John Candy was like, he knew my name, Ron. I had to take the drinks. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Um, okay. Justin has two. Corey has five. Final question is worth 11 points. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one might be difficult, folks. Which of these actors was first offered the role of Jules Winfield? Sam Jackson's character in Pulp Fiction, but turned it down because they felt the script made heroin use too attractive. Was it A, Will Smith, B, Lawrence Fishburne, C, Denzel Washington, or D, Wesley Snipes? Corey A. Will Smith? Justin uh, Denzel Washington. Lawrence Fishburne? Lawrence Fishburne! Wow. He could have been. Now, the way Quentin Tarantino puts it is that his agents convinced him not to take the part because they wanted him to only take leading man roles. And that because the character of Jules is technically a sharing the lead with John Travolta. What a mistake. But thank God, because yeah. Samuel Jackson, I mean, come on. The movie was probably better because of it. Absolutely. Because nobody could beat Sam in that. But Hell yeah. Was that yeah. the first Tarantino movie he had done? Sam? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, and it, wow, what a... He auditioned for Reservoir Dogs, but he didn't get the part. What a long-standing relationship. Mm-hmm. Corey oh, wins! The Corey yeah. wins the drugs on film. But Justin, drugs as always, on film. as always, Justin, we share the We movie. share. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. By the way, Stitcher is no more. So if you're listening to us on Stitcher, we hope you find us again on whatever fucking medium you go to listen to the rest of your podcasts on. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later! Bye! Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo.